Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What do you think about God? Says, yeah, I, I'm guessing this audience thinks a little differently than what might have been on that video. Uh, some of those people I know have since changed their change their approach or their minds. But it's not really very shocking to hear some of those things. In 21st century North America, I don't need God. I'm not interested. Uh, really, what's God all about? What's the Bible all about? You take away my fun. Really, uh, why do I want it? Why do I need it? It's got nothing to do with me. And Though this is the 21st century, things really haven't changed that much at all in terms of people's perspectives and what they think about God. And do they really need him? We could go back a century or two. We could go back hundreds of centuries. And actually, I want to take you back to the 7th century B.C., to a time when attitudes were really just the same. I want to read to you a passage, and actually a fairly lengthy passage, from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was living in this 7th century B.C. in Jerusalem. The nation of Israel had been split into two, and the northern kingdom had already been conquered by Assyria. The people had been scattered And then this little southern nation called Judah still existed. And the people's attitudes were very much like what we're hearing on this video. I don't need God. Don't care for him. Takes away all my fun. And Jeremiah came as a prophet of God to warn the people. You've turned from God. He's real. He desires to help you and be part of your life. And I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah chapter 8. And if you have uh, your electronic device, your phone, if you're using the U version, the scripture should be there. Or if you have a good old paper Bible, just open it up to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah is coming with a really... A tough word to the people about God's judgment. And I'll just give you a little background that's leading into it. Chapter 7 is what's called uh, by some Jeremiah's sermon at the temple or his temple sermon where he lets the people know you've taken God's house and you've really just uh, turned it into something detestable. You've desecrated it. And if you read Jeremiah seven eleven, it's Quoted by Christ, you've turned my house into a den of robbers. This is supposed to be the house with my name on it. And now after Jeremiah brings this word about what they've done to the temple and how they've desecrated it, now it's this word of judgment. And as I read it, I just want you to somewhat think about our own time. And I think you'll see many parallels. And you'll see things really don't change as history marches on. People are people. 
And when it comes to God, there is just often this attitude of, I don't care, I don't need him. So this is Jeremiah chapter 8. It's verse 4 I begin with, which is the, really after his temple sermon. His temple sermon, all of chapter 7, the first three verses of chapter 8. And now, verse 4 of chapter 8. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, do they not get up? When someone turns away, do they not return? Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. I've listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, What have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped, since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Why are we sitting here? Gather together. Let us flee to the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and given us poisoned water to drink because we have sinned against him. We have hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. The snorting of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. At the neighing of their stallions, the whole land trembles. They have come to devour the land and everything in it, the city and all who live there. See, I will send venomous snakes among you, vipers that cannot be charmed, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. Now we hear from Jeremiah. You are my comforter in sorrow. My heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? As you read that, I hope you saw some of the parallels that just easily can advance forward into our own time. There's really not a whole lot of interpretation necessary for some of those lines of Scripture. And when Jeremiah the prophet uh, spoke these words, the kingdom of Judah had already begun to decline. They had 
had a good King Josiah. By the time uh, Jeremiah wrote this, it's likely Josiah had been killed, and now they were in uh, really sort of their death spiral. They were going to be conquered by Babylon. Jeremiah is bringing the word, and the people, they're there in their state of wickedness, and they're unrepentant, and they have no shame at all. And they had provoked the wrath of God. Judgment was coming. God lifted his protection. He says, I'm taking it away. The nation was already in peril. Jeremiah came with this word from the Lord. And like all the prophets of old, he's using imagery. He's speaking with metaphors. And he employs a metaphor. He says, the nation is wounded. And this wound represents something that he is very clear about. It's their sin. Their wickedness. They have been detestable in their conduct, their impenitence. They don't care to repent. The nation is in need of healing. But even the prophets and the priests have been corrupted. They don't see a wound that is even worth dressing. It is nothing but a superficial thing to the priests and the prophets. Peace, peace, they prophesy. But there is no peace. And it's finally beginning to sink in on the people. And I wonder if it's beginning to even sink in on us as we look around the state of our own communities and our own country. The people had begun to see that their, their predicament for what it was, and it's getting clearer. We hoped for peace, they say, but peace has not come. We hoped for a time of healing, but there's only terrors. Our enemies are threatening They'd come to devour the land. They'd come to take everything in it. They can hear the horses coming. Destruction is close at hand. It's imminent. It's about to overtake this little nation of Judah. Their situation is desperate. Some of them don't even know it. Some of them ignore it. But others, it's definitely sinking in. And Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. And he grieves. He says, my people are crushed. I am crushed. I mourn. Horror grips me. And then he advances this metaphor of the wound. And he poses three questions. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? That's the first two. The nation had been wounded By sin, the nation had turned corrupt. The people were corrupt. And he asked this question, is there no help? Is there no ointment? Is there no salve, a balm, some kind of cure? Are these people even looking for a cure? Isn't there any cure to take care of this deep infection, this wound of the nation? And is there no doctor? Is there no physician who can dress this sore and patch up the injury? And the answer to both of these questions is yes. Yes. Yes, there is. This image, this metaphor refers to a balm in Gilead. Gilead was this region that was just east of the Jordan River. It was near. It was accessible to this group of people. And 
in that area grew this shrub, this balsam shrub, and the sap would be taken from it and it would be made into this resin or, or balm and it was aromatic and it was used as a healing aid. It was medicinal. And there were physicians in Jerusalem. They had access to this balm from Gilead. So even in their desperate state, the picture is to these people, you've got something close by. There is a balm. There is a physician. And it's within your reach. So the balm isn't Literal, though, it represents something. It's a metaphor. It's a word picture. What does it represent to these people? This is the word of God. They have got the word. They know the Lord's word. But the priests and the prophets, they've corrupted it. And they know who brought the word. And that's the physician, God himself. God hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed changed. His ways were well known to these people. He was still God. He was still almighty. He was still able to save them. Why then? Why then were they not healed? Why then were they not delivered? The prophet asks the third question, why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? And all of these questions, all three of them, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician available? Why then is there no healing for the the people? They could all be asked today. And last week we talked about the Old Testament and how the Old Testament was a shadow and how it uh, foretold the coming of Christ. And we used the book of Hebrews and talked about how everything in the Old Testament was really a shadow of the reality, and that reality is embodied in Jesus Christ. So this balm of Gilead that uh, was used in the Old Testament, it's a picture for us, and it points straight to Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ. And for us, Jesus, he is the great physician who can bind up the deepest wound. Why then, when we have the blood of Christ, and we have Jesus, the great physician. Why then is there no healing for the wound? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? When there's an antidote so close, the answer Jeremiah had already given. He said it in, in his passage, and the answers really apply to us today, and I could express them in really two ways I I could summarize what this passage says to us in giving the answers. And first... First is, these people were holding on to deceit. They rejected God, and that's what's occurring today. People hold on to deceit. They're being led falsely. They believe the lies, and they reject God. By their own stubbornness, the people cling to deceit, reject the cure that's prescribed by Almighty God. And that's what happened in Jeremiah's time. It's what's happening today. On the edge of destruction, people cling to what's false. They persist in their wickedness. They reject God. When many people are offered deliverance, when they're offered eternal salvation, it's right at hand. They reject it. Content that a a remedy isn't even necessary. Why? Because the wound of sin is nothing. They've been falsely led to believe that sin can be minimized. It can be justified. It can be ignored. 
What have I done? What have I done? Jeremiah uh, wrote. They say, what have I done? And each pursues his own course. Like the man in the video said, ah, that Bible, you know, it just was the, it was the book to tell me I could have no fun. I needed to pursue my own course. The man who said, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not interested in it. I don't need God. Why do I need to believe in God? I'll pursue my own course. Sin is nothing. It's meaningless. It bears no weight. When the truth of the matter is, sin is a wound. It's a gaping, open, fatal wound. And the cure for that, the cure for that injury is right within our grasp. It's right within our reach. The balm of Gilead that points to Jesus Christ and the blood that Christ gave for each of us on the cross. It's Jesus who's the great physician. He can bind up the deepest wound, but the cure isn't even sought. There's so many not even seeking the cure to sin which is a disease, an infection that's in our nature. And when it's left unchecked, sin is lethal. It's lethal to the soul. We don't like to talk about these things. We don't like to talk about the consequences. Jeremiah laid them out to the people, and they haven't changed. Sin brings dreadful consequences. God's wrath, his judgment, death, hell. It can all be ignored in this world. I don't need it. I'm not interested. But it cannot be ignored in the next world. All of us will individually have to stand before God Almighty. Wrath and judgment. This is, this is all very unpleasant. It's all very negative. Can't we talk about something positive? Yes, we can. Yes. We can talk about the cure, a cure that we have available to any who seek, a cure that surpasses what was available to the people in Jeremiah's day. What the people of the Old Testament had was a remedy that had to be repeated, and it had to be reapplied, and it was called sacrifice, and they had to perform sacrifices for their sin, but this is what God had told them, and they had a remedy and a way to alleviate the sin problem. But for those of us reading the passage today, we have access to a cure that is complete. We have an access to a cure that is all-sufficient and totally effective. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. He is Jesus Christ. And he is ready and he is able to heal the wound of any and all who seek his cure. Jesus Christ is the great physician. He is the author of life. He is the creator and the upholder of all things. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And out of his love, out of his love for his creation, he took on the form of what he, what, of what he created. He took on bone and flesh and blood and he became one of humankind. And he was not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. Such was his plan that he would become like us and he would be tempted like us and he'd be able to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became a sacrificial lamb, and he gave his life on the cross. 
as the final and the complete and the only remedy for this disease called sin. This God-man in all aspects of both divinity and humanity rooted in love for his creation. He offered himself up as the balm of Gilead, as the medicine, as the cure which eradicates, and we sung today, erases sin, and it erases the wrath and the judgment. And we, we, we're saved, and then we're saved by the blood of Christ. He heals the soul, and he keeps us from death and from hell and the grave, eternal life in his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is opened up. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen if God is the one who justifies through Christ Jesus. You can read Romans chapter 8 that says that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why then, why do so many remain wounded, dying, and in need of healing? Why do so many die when healing is within their reach? When the balm of the great physician is so close? Well, they hold on. They hold on to what is false, and they reject the cure. And two, the people refused to repent. That's what was going on in Jeremiah's day, and it's what's going on today. So many see the wound for some may see the wound, wound for what it is. Some, but so many others don't the truth may actually begin to sink in on some. That sin has caused problems. That it has produced difficulty. That it has brought trouble. But instead of turning to Christ, instead of turning to the remedy, we read this morning, the people turned and they went the other way. Why, do, why don't they turn back was the question. Why don't they turn back? They turn the other way. They flee to their own cities. They're looking for their own help. Instead of Jesus... People run in the other direction. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, what have I done? That's what Jeremiah prophesied and wrote. Each pursues his own course. It's going on today. In their pride, they feel that they can cure themselves or they don't even need it. We are wise, they say. Jeremiah wrote, we are wise, they say. And they were wise in their own eyes. And that's, today we, we have so many who are wise in their own eyes. But the wise will be put to shame. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And thus, those who are wise in their own eyes refuse to repent. They see it as foolishness. I don't need that. I have no interest 
and they continue to pursue their own way. When the fix that they need, when the cure that they need is oh so close, oh so close, just like that bomb in Gilead was right there in the, across the Jordan River, less than a day's journey. It was there for the people. We have access to this. But we live in this society that it, it, it expects this. It expects this ready solution. Really, when you have an itch, you have a lesion, you have an ache, you have a pain, it's off to the doctor. And the doctor prescribes something, doesn't he? There are hundreds and hundreds of medications that are FDA approved and the list keeps going and going and going. The, the doctor, he, he prescribes a drug, a medicine, something to help, and he can take care of that pain and alleviate the itch or whatever the infection might be. But when it comes to this thing called sin, forget about it. I don't want the cure. When it comes to the lust of the flesh or the pride of life or coveting or lust or jealousy or fornication and adultery, greed, rage, lying, gossiping, slandering, all these things that the Lord plainly identifies as sin that is deadly. When it comes to these just like in Jeremiah's day, so it is today. People cling to what's false. They reject God. Or in their pride, they refuse to turn. They refuse to repent. When the cure, when the prescription for death and hell and the grave, when the prescription is ready and it's right there and it's within reach, like a prescription right from the doctor that we run to all the time for whatever little thing ails us. It's right there, and it can be readily applied. You get your prescription, it tells you exactly what to do. Apply three times a day, topically, take orally, one with meal, whatever. It's very plain and straightforward. And so is this. So is this, the cure that's offered by God through Christ. How so? How can this miracle cure be applied? And it's by faith. It's by faith in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's only through faith in Christ that this healing can be accessed. That's it. That's it. There isn't... There isn't a big, long list of do's. You don't have to do this and that. You have to believe it and receive it. And it's got to be received individually. It's the only way and the only sure cure for the soul. Jesus, the great physician, so many times said these things. I'll just offer you some of the words of Jesus Christ. In his own words, he said, Truly I say unto you, whoever believes has eternal life. Truly I say, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. That's Jesus speaking. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, Jesus said, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus. And that's what he's saying. It's not difficult. It's not hard. 
It needs to be acknowledged. I've got a wound and it's deep and it's gaping and it's fatal. It's lethal to my soul. And I got the cure and it's available and I need to turn. I need to turn and abandon that and go to him. If you've never availed yourself by faith to Jesus, the all-sufficient cure, Jesus Christ, the eminent physician, is waiting for you. He is waiting for you. Seek his cure. Receive his remedy. Don't cling to deceit. Don't cling to falsehoods. Don't cling to lies and sin. Don't refuse to repent. Turn to him. Turn to him. Turn to him this morning if you've never done that. And he can cure you from this thing called sin. And I know from many of you, most all of you here this morning, you've already availed yourself to this cure that's Jesus. You've come to him by faith. You can say, my soul's safe. I'm assured of that. But there's more. There's more to life than just receiving what Jesus had to offer in terms of salvation. Jesus didn't come just to offer this great gift, this solution to, to our troubles. He didn't come just to offer us this everlasting life. He said, come to me. Learn of me. I want to get to know you and you to know me. Abide in me. Let me in and I will eat with you. I will commune with you. There's this ongoing relational element to life on this earth Life with Christ, receiving eternal life, that's just the first step. That's the first step to a, a, an eternal bond that Jesus Christ wants to develop with all of us. And if you've received that assurance and you know it and you are actually developing your relation with Jesus Christ, you might be seeking a different healing this morning. You might be looking for something else, a physical need, a relational issue, a trouble in your life that's been nagging you. Jeremiah said, you are my comforter in sorrow. Jesus is our comforter in sorrow. Jesus is that balm from Gilead. He's a balm that can save us from sin but he can soothe us in our sorrow. He can help us in our time of need. And we want to take time this morning to do just that.